you. Thank you. Okay, uh, John chapter 10. If you're not there already, please turn to John 10. Uh, and as I begin, I want to ask a question. When you, when you think about the concept of a leader, what do you think of? We are, uh, as a, a nation right now, we're entering into a, an election cycle, which um, it kind of feels like we just did this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little exhausting. Okay, but here we are again. Let's, uh, let's go through this again. And so, you know, in this kind of season, we often think of a leader in terms of president or governor or congressman or whatever. But there are leaders in, in every walk of life, right? In, in business and in um, the, the military and education. You have CEOs and generals and even in home, they're mom and dad. And you have those pesky eldest siblings who think they're uh, the leader and in charge of everything, right? I mean, so they're everywhere. Leaders are everywhere. Uh, but if I said the word leader, probably it didn't come to your mind to think shepherd, unless you just looked up on the screen and said, oh, we're going to talk about shepherd. It, it, it wouldn't naturally pop into your mind, right? It's not, a, it's not a, an image of leadership in our culture. But biblically speaking, it's probably the primary metaphor for leadership. All the way back in Genesis, Jacob says, the Lord has been my shepherd all of these days of my life. So beginning in Genesis, all the way through the Old Testament, David picks up the theme, most famous psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord uh, pictures himself as the ultimate leader in terms of a shepherd. And he says, I've put other shepherds underneath me to take care of my people, but I'm, I'm the, the great shepherd, right? But other shepherds underneath me. And when you get to the prophets, he, he denounces those shepherds who are underneath him. So, you know, these shepherds are actually devouring the flock. They're not feeding the flock. So I'm going to remove them and I'm going to send a good shepherd. Right? One from the line of David, he will be a good shepherd to my people. He'll, he'll shepherd like, like I would shepherd my people. In John chapter 10, Jesus arrives on the scene and he says, I am the good shepherd. But he steps right into this biblical flow, and he says, if you want to know who God's shepherd is, that's me. I am the good shepherd, so follow me. Follow me. But if I'm honest, a lot of times I don't really want to follow. I want to lead. I don't want to be president, but I want to be president of my life. And so it's a challenge for me sometimes to be willing to relinquish control and be one who follows. But we're made to follow. We're made to follow the good shepherd. And so this morning what I want to do in John chapter 10 is to give you uh, four good reasons to follow the good shepherd. Okay, so John chapter 10, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. John 10 verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is the Lord speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he puts forth all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but they will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So the first reason we follow the good shepherd is this, because he calls his sheep by name, by which I mean this, he knows his sheep. Right? He knows his sheep, he, he knows you, because you belong to him. So um, if we can uh, unpack the, the visual image of this metaphor, since most of us have not been around a lot of sheep in our lives, um, 
the shepherds of a, a given town would create one sheepfold. So it's kind of economies of scale, right? They didn't have to create multiple in, in the evenings to keep their sheep out of danger. They would all bring their sheep into this common sheepfold. And in the night, the sheep would mix in with one another. Right? So all of the flocks, multiple flocks, are all mixed in with one another. So in the morning, the shepherds had to separate their sheep from the sheep of another shepherd. And so they would stand at the gate and they would call out to their sheep. And each shepherd had a unique call and had a unique voice. And the sheep that didn't belong to him, they didn't want to follow that voice. They wanted, But the sheep that belonged to him, they'd hear his voice, they'd hear his call, and they would come to the front and they would move out toward the gate. And so he would stand at the gate with his rod over the gate and he would count them as they came out. So he made sure that he had all of his sheep. And what Jesus is saying is this, you're actually not just a number, you're a name. He calls all of his sheep by name. He knows each and every one of them specifically, not just generally, not just generically. He knows people. He knows the world. He knows you, and he knows your name because you belong to him. You are his people. As it says in Psalm 100, verse 3, Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and we are the sheep of his pasture. And he knows us and calls us by name. Or it says in the book, as it says in Deuteronomy 26, the Lord has today declared you to be his people, a treasured possession. That is, God owns all of creation because he made all of creation. And so what he says is valuable is actually most valuable. And he says, what is most valuable is you. I'm going to take you out of all of creation as my possession. You belong to me. And in earthly terms, it was true that the shepherd's entire wealth was wrapped up in the sheep, so it is for the Lord. His wealth, so to speak, his treasure is tied up in you because he loves you and consequently calls you by name. Turn to, uh, keep your place here in John 10, mark it, and turn to Psalm chapter 139. One of uh, David's uh, more famous psalms, Psalm chapter 139. And let's read together in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down and you know when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down, and you are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before And laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret. And skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. So you're not just a, you're not just a number, you're not even just a name, but he knows everything about you. David says, you're intimately acquainted with all of my ways. You know when I stand up, you know when I sit down, you know when I walk in the way, you know uh, my thoughts, you know my imaginations, you know my emo- emotions, you know my choices, you know everything about you, about me, and and still you love me because I belong to you. And you know everything 
about my life. I want you to turn back to John chapter 10 and read with me in verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. So if Jesus is the, the good shepherd, then we are we're the sheep. Right? We're the sheep, which is not necessarily a, a complimentary um, designation for us. If you know anything about sheep, they're not known as the most intelligent animals uh, in the animal kingdom. Um, they're actually... Uh, they're, they're a little bit dense, and they're difficult to lead. They're vulnerable to attack. They don't have fangs. They don't have claws. They're defenseless. They can be killed by lions and bears and wolves in, in Israel. They can even be uh, the small ones taken away by birds of prey. Uh, they tend to wander off, and when they wander off, uh, they uh, fall into ravines, and they eat poisonous plants, and they drink poisonous water, and because they have a flock mentality, if one falls in a ravine, then another's likely to fall in a ravine. If one drinks poisonous water, another will drink it. They eat poisonous plants, another eat poisonous plants. So they, they, they're really difficult to manage and difficult to care for. They can even get bug insects inside their ear and kill themselves because they're banging their head so hard. So they're just, they're really not the best and the brightest. And yet God chooses this metaphor, not just to convey something about himself, but to convey something about us. And still he loves us, and he's loyal to us, and he calls each and every one of us by name. I thought this was a beautiful picture of a Near Eastern shepherd in the rain, carrying his sheep, rescuing his sheep from danger. Like a shepherd, he tends his flock. He gathers up the lambs with his arm. He carries them close to his heart. He leads the ewes along. So first good reason to follow the good shepherd is because he knows you. He calls his sheep by name. Second is this, he provides for all of his sheep. Look at John chapter 10, verse 7. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So John chapter 10, the whole metaphor is sheep and shepherds. But here Jesus shifts from talking about himself as the shepherd. And instead he says, I'm, I'm uh, actually like the, the door or the gate of the sheep. And the idea was this. Once all the, the shepherds had put their flocks into the sheepfold, they would rotate lying in front of the gate. So the thieves couldn't come in and steal, and so the, th- the sheep couldn't sneak out and destroy themselves. The idea is this. Jesus is the way of life, right? And this is really the primary message in the entire book of, of John. He talks about eternal life more than any other writer. Jesus is the source of life. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus says, I'm the, I'm the gate, I'm the doorway, so that my sheep can go in and out. They can find pasture, they can find provision, they can find life. I am the source and I am security for them. So what does Jesus mean? Well, uh, it's interesting, eternal life in John's theology doesn't just mean like life that's long. It's, it, also, it does mean that. It means a life that goes on forever, but it really refers also to, to something qualitative. In Greek, eternal life is literally the life of the age. 
Right? So he's talking about uh, this, this age to come where God sets all things right. And John says, even now you have be- the beginning possession of that. You'll have it forever, but you're beginning to taste it now. The life of the age or uh, eternal life. So what are we talking about here? A really good commentary written by Donald Carson. He made this observation. He said, the life that Jesus' disciples enjoy is not to be construed as more time to fill. That is merely everlasting life, but life at its scarcely imagined best. Now, this... uh, a few weeks back when um, we went up for Tristy's sister's memorial service, I, before the service I was talking to uh, somebody who was attending, and um, somebody I know really well, and I was just asking him about um, what was going through his mind. I said, what do you think about life that comes after, or heaven? He said, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really think about it, and I don't need it, and I don't care about it. And it wasn't as if there wasn't, you know, fear in his, in his words, uh, he was just saying, you know, that doesn't really matter to me. What, what matters is, you know, I've done some good in life. I've done some things that are bad, but I've done good as well. And that's what's really important to me. And so you know, I thought, I think I need to approach this conversation a little bit differently. Rather than talking about uh, fear of what's next, l- let's talk about hope of what's next. Because uh, for this friend, what's really, really important to him is that he does good. Right? And that his, his life does good for those around him now. And, uh, and he enjoys that, and he enjoys serving and sacrificing. And so I said, you know, uh, I think sometimes that we have this, this misconception of heaven that's given to us as a culture. It's not chubby babies sitting on a cloud playing a harp. It's, it's not precious moments at all. Just wipe that out of your mind. What it is, is it's productive, joyful, fruitful labor. You're getting to do the things that you really love to do with people that you really love and enjoy and the conflict is gone and you're getting to do it with a body that doesn't wear out and grow old and get cancer and die. So that's the great hope. So fear wasn't really in his mind, but I thought maybe what the Spirit will use is that hope that that I get to do what I was designed to do forever. That's everlasting life. So Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and that they might have life that is abundant, that is life to the full. Well, what does that look like? If you read in the prophets, uh, Jesus, uh, the Lord says, you know, I'm going to bring my people back, and I'm going to bring them into rich pastures, and I'm going to protect them from uh, predators. And you wonder, okay, what's he talking about with this metaphor? Because people don't need grass, and they don't need to wander in the fields. Well, what's, what's the point? Well, in the Old Testament, it was, it was spiritual provision, it was physical provision. Right, it was rescue out of exile, protection from foreign enemies. It was crops that would yield their fruit and animals that would uh, bear young and grow healthy. And it was also forgiveness of sins and reconciliation. So that's kind of the Old Testament concept of what the Good Shepherd would do. So what does that mean for us? Right, as, as Jesus promised us perfect and everlasting prosperity, well, someday, yes. Right? But now, he says to the church, uh, all who desire to live, to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. He says, uh, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. In this world you will have tribulation. So, what does abundant life mean for us now? Right? If, if, in a sense, all things are going to be set right physically and spiritually and emotionally and socially and relationally someday, what do we hope for right now in this moment? 
I remember the first time that I walked into a gym and uh, there was a guy who was wearing a t-shirt, a Christian t-shirt, and it had Philippians 4.13 on it. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Which may, means I can, I can now deadlift 500 pounds, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Ah, okay, most things. I can't do that thing, but I can do, right? What does it mean? What does Paul mean? I can do all things. Well, uh, in the context, all things means I can live in prosperity and I can live in want. Paul says, I can live with contentment when I'm suffering, when I'm struggling, when I'm shipwrecked, when I'm imprisoned. I can live with contentment then. I can live with contentment when I have a physical and material abundance and I'm surrounded by the people that I love. I can suffer well and I can show the hope that I have in Christ. But also I can enjoy abundance and show the hope that I have in Christ by sharing the abundance that I have. Paul says, in any and every circumstance during this brief moment that I have on earth, this fleeting breath of a life, I can live with contentment. I can do all things. I can live in all circumstances. Why? Because I have that hope, which is unshakable. That physically, spiritually, emotionally, socially, all things will be set right. In this life, no. In this life, you're going to have tribulation. But take courage, I've overcome the world, Jesus says. But in this life, I'm not going to rescue you. I mean, contrary to what a prosperity theology teaches you, I'm not going to rescue you from every struggle. In fact, I'm going to let you go through the same things that the rest of the world goes through so that they can see what it looks like to live with hope. So, you know, we've been wandering around a lot in the halls of MD Anderson over the last months, and they're just a lot of really sick people. And uh, we've frequently, not surprising, (laughs) Tristan, I'll just walk up to people who are sitting by themselves because they're by themselves. And they'll immediately have conversations. And you immediately know those who have hope and those who do not have hope. And no one ever refused when we said, can we pray with you? Because they're grasping for hope. But there are people there who know Jesus and people who don't know Jesus. And just because the people know Jesus doesn't mean that they get to dodge M.D. Anderson. In this world, you'll have tribulation. But take courage because I've overcome the world. And so you have hope. Which is the greatest provision, in a sense, that the Good Shepherd gives to us. Good Shepherd provides for all of his sheep, so follow him. Third, the Good Shepherd sacrifices for his sheep. Read with me in verse 11. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired man, and he's not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, he sees the wolf coming. And he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken my life away from me. I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. This is the commandment that I've received from my Father. Jesus says, I've laid down my life. It's five times in these verses. I lay it down on behalf of my sheep. In contrast to two other characters who show up here, one is, one is uh, the thief or the robber, and the second is the hired man. 
Right? The thief is the one who comes just to steal and kill and destroy, which is in uh, this analogy, Jesus is putting that on the spiritual leaders of the day, ironically. Right? Because they're using their spiritual authority to take from the people. Right? We're in John chapter 10. John chapter 9, just previously, there's a man born blind, and Jesus heals the man born blind, and then the, the, uh, he's carrying his pallet, and the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they, they say, well, what are you doing? You're breaking the law. You can't do it. Well, it's, you know, this, this man healed me. <laughs> Who was it? Well, I don't know. Right? But he, he healed my eyes. I'm like, well, we don't buy it. We're not believing it. So they call his parents, and they go, oh, you know, he's old enough to speak for himself. They call him in again. He'll, well, this man healed my Why are you asking me again? You want to follow him as well? I mean, it's a beautifully sarcastic moment, right, where he's just mocking them. And they cast him out. They say, you can't worship with us any longer. And the contrast is really clear because they cast him out and Jesus seeks him out. Because what a good shepherd does is he seeks, right? He seeks and saves that which is lost. And so Jesus is seeking to rescue and to save as opposed to the shepherds of the day who are devouring the people. Literally, they're taking from them financially and they're destroying their lives. They're giving them the spiritual uh, concepts, the burdens that are just oppressive that they can't keep up, they can't measure up, they can't draw close to God. The second metaphor is not just the thief, but then the the hired person. He sees danger coming and he runs. Because he doesn't own the sheep, he doesn't care that much about the sheep. In Zechariah, he talks about uh, such people. He says, woe to the worthless shepherds who leave the flock. They see the danger coming and they run. As compared to uh, David, 1 Samuel 17 who had known the Lord as his good shepherd, he said this to Saul. He said, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. And, you know, all the men go, awesome, that's awesome, right? That's amazing. Remember the context. David is saying to Saul, hey, I will go out in front of you and I will face the danger for our nation. I will face the Philistine giant. Because that's what a good shepherd does. He faces the danger first. And so Jesus says, I lay down my life on behalf of you. Not just as an example for what a sacrificial life looks like. No, I'm going to face the danger for you. There's a really interesting comparison made by Philip Keller between Uh, shepherds in western countries and shepherds in the ancient Near East or the eastern countries even today. So upper left, uh, shepherds in western countries, they drive the sheep with dogs. Shepherds in eastern countries, they lead their sheep. They go ahead. So they look for the water and they look for the grass and they clear out the predators. They face the danger ahead of time. That's what Jesus is saying is, I'll go first. And in fact, that's what he did on the cross. He says, I will face the predator death first on your behalf for you. And I will give my life in defeating your enemy. But that's the essence of the gospel message, isn't it? That Jesus went first. Jesus faced the enemy first. Jesus faced death first. So that as we face death, we don't have to fear it. Because even if we die, then we'll live forever with him. 
This is uh, what Donald Carson again says. He says, the shepherd doesn't die for his sheep to serve simply as an example, right? Throwing himself off a cliff in a grotesque and futile display while bellowing, see how much I love you, right? No. He says, the assumption is that the sheep are in mortal danger, that in their defense the shepherd loses his life, that by his death they are saved. Isn't that beautiful? His life on behalf of ours so that we could have hope. Isaiah 53, verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And the penalty for that iniquity, that sin, is death. And so Jesus allowed our death to be poured out upon him. Right? He took it upon himself. Why do we follow the good shepherd? Because the good shepherd cares for his sheep to the point of giving his life for his sheep. And fourth, the good shepherd protects his sheep and he protects them forever. Look back in John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. They know my call. And I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is a, a beautiful Trinitarian verse because he says, I and the Father are one. And it's neuter, not masculine, which means this. He's not saying I and the Father are one person because they're not, right? In the Trinity, we have three persons, but they are one God with one purpose and one intention, and that is to keep you safe, right? To rescue you and keep you safe. So Jesus says, uh, these are my sheep. They know my voice. They follow me. And no one, no, no one can snatch them out of my hand, right? There's no predator that can come and peel back my fingers. No one is stronger than me, so I've got them in the grip of my hand. And my father, who's even greater than I am, well, they can't snatch it out of the father's hand, right? So the father is wrapped around. And then Paul says in Ephesians 4, and then the spirit gets into the game. He says, I'm going to seal them for the day of redemption. So you've got father, son, and spirit wrapping you tight. No one can break the grip of God and what he has on your life. So as Paul will say in Colossians 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Or you're hidden, your, your life is hidden with Christ in God. So you're, you're safe, you are secure. Or as Leon Morris says, our continuance in eternal life depends not on our feeble hold on Christ, but on his firm grip on us. Right? Our hope and our confidence is not, gosh, my faith is so strong and it's growing constantly that I will never fail, I will never sin, I will never let go, I will never fall away. No, my, my confidence is this. But I'm wrapped up in the hand of Christ and the hand of God the Father is wrapped around that and the Spirit has sealed me inside. So I have hope, I have confidence. So I can trust the Good Shepherd and I can follow him. Now, how do we apply this? Let me give you uh, three possible applications. First is this, are you in Jesus' flock? So, you know, maybe it's your first time here at Grace Bible Church or maybe you've uh, come many times, um, and maybe you have this idea, well, yeah, Jesus died for the sins of the world, but it really has never resonated. Jesus died for you, personally, right? He knows you by name. You're not a number, and really it's not even just a name, but he knows everything about you. He, he knows all of your fears, and he knows your faults, he knows your failures, and he says, I'm seeking after you. Because that's what God does. He, he seeks and saves that which is lost. He's a good shepherd who is looking for that one who's fallen into the ravine or is drinking the poisonous water or eating that plant that will kill. He says, I want you to be with me. And all that you have to do in a sense really is just let God find you this morning. 
Say, God, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus on my behalf, in my place, taking death, my death that should have been mine for my sins into himself. We do, you don't have to even bow your head or close your eyes. You can just call out in, in your heart and say, God, thank you for Jesus, I believe. So maybe the big decision application point for you this morning is just uh, to, to let Jesus find you and uh, begin following him for the first time. Uh, second application might be this. Are you following him? Maybe you, you have been found by Jesus and you know you have a relationship with him, but uh, you are like me and uh, you kind of ebb and flow between letting God lead and then saying, no, let me take that back under control, right? Because when the, the crises hit, uh, we're tempted to say, mm, does Jesus really know what's best for me? Is he really able to rescue me? Really, Is this a moment where I really should step in and take control again of my life? And maybe right now the Lord is speaking to you and he's saying, I really want you to, to release this because you are better off following and let me lead your life. And then a third uh, possible application would be this. Are, are you a shepherd to other? Are you, are you shepherding others? Remember, uh, Jesus is, is the good shepherd, but then he has specifically called the church to shepherd others, right? He said to Peter, shepherd my sheep, tend my flock, look after my lambs. In the simplest terms, what we do as a church is we help people find and follow Jesus, right? That's what we do. That's what the Great Commission is about. We help people find and follow Jesus. We assume that God's Spirit is chasing after people, and our role is to come alongside them and help them discover him. Discover where is that water of life? Who is this one that can actually meet the deepest longings and needs of their life? And that's really the calling of the church. And we don't want to lose that, right? We we, we think about uh, the nations, I'm, you know, inspired by my friend, Rob, who's, who's been one who's willing to go into the hardest places. But also for us, it begins with courage with just our neighbors and friends and family, right? Because you have people around you at work or next door or at a family reunion who don't know how to find life. And it's your calling, since you found it, to have the courage to step into those relationships and love them in the name of Jesus and serve them in the name of Jesus. And when the moment presents to have boldness and speak the words of life in Jesus. And church, I don't want us to ever forget that in this, this brief moment of time, this vapor <laughs> that life is, right? 30, 40, 70, 80 years that we have on earth, that we have a very specific calling to help people find and follow Jesus. And let's embrace that, right? Father, I pray that we would have courage to do that. I pray that we would uh, see the wealth and the richness that we have because our lives have been ransomed from, from sin and death, from fear and from shame, and you've given us purpose. And I pray, Father, we would embrace that this week. We would look for those opportunities uh, to be shepherds to others. And I pray, Father, that we would have courage to continue to let you lead in our lives, that we would... Uh, be those who are, who are willing to follow and relinquish control and trust you that you are, in fact, Jesus, a, a good, good shepherd. I thank you for revealing that to us, and I pray that uh, throughout this week, uh, th- these thoughts, this imagery would return to our hearts and minds, and we would trust you and follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. If you have any other questions for Rob, he's going to be down front here. You can come on up and ask. We'll see you next week.